One of the things I've often dreamed about is doing a commencement speech. I have a thing for commencement speeches, particularly if they're, you know, actually good. There's just something so wonderfully hope-filled about them. The idea of a sea of young people about to embark on the next huge chapter of their lives with nothing but the words of some old sage between them and their diplomas and raging graduation parties. What could be more full of promise? Sadly for me, no one has ever asked me to speak at their graduation ceremony. Sadly for you, I've never let the lack of an invitation hold me back. So, on this early summer day, and on this our last episode of season four, I thought I'd go ahead and give the commencement speech that's been inside of me crying to be let out. It's all next on today's episode. Congratulations, Make Light Class of 2019. Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about infusing your life and work with meaning and using your superpowers to change the world. I'm Karen Walrand, leadership coach and author of the best-selling book, The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit. Join me as we explore ways to curate an intentional life and positively impact those around you in the process. Work your purpose, change your world, make light. Faculty, alumni, friends, proud parents, and class of 2019, I'm so thrilled to be here. I realized that no one actually invited me to give this speech, and still, I'm so incredibly honored to address you on this special day. Thank you so much for having me. Now, when I was not asked to be here by anybody, the imaginary organizers told me that I could talk about whatever I want. So immediately, my mind turned to attempted murder and natural disasters, because why not? As it turns out, both of these things led me to discover an uncomfortable truth about myself. And whenever I get uncomfortable, I'm compelled to share the discomfort. So, lucky you. You're welcome. See, late one evening about a year ago, I was reading an article online and was overcome by the realization that I was absolutely over humanity. Just done. Finished. And to announce my complete and utter concession with life, I immediately published a tweet, as one does, and one that read, If anyone ever asks you when the moment was that I lost all faith in humanity, tell them that it was at 11.42 p.m. on Thursday, March 15th, when I read this article. Okay, before I continue, I need to stop and let you know that despite what it's about to sound like, I haven't come here to share nothing but gore and horror. Let me reassure you and preface what's coming by saying that everyone in the story that follows survives. Everyone in this story is going to be fine. I'm not that bad. But, in case you missed this Washington Post article, it starts out pretty innocuously. Emily Javier suspected her boyfriend, Alex Lovell, of cheating and she got angry. And that's when things went pear-shaped, because to get back at him, she decided to go to her local mall and purchase 
not new locks for the doors so she could kick him out of the house, but instead a samurai sword. Oregon malls, it seems, have even more exotic weapons for sale than the malls in Texas do. Anyway, Emily was frustrated with her boyfriend for staying constantly glued to his video games, not to mention that over the previous weeks, she had developed strong suspicions that Alex was unfaithful. So she thought to herself, I'm going to stab him when he's sleeping. On March 2nd, when Alex came home and ignored her yet again to play his games, she allegedly decided to go through with the attack, taping the sword and two knives to the side of the bed. When he finally went to sleep, my girl reached for the sword. So you get the story. Boy meets girl. Boy cheats on girl. Girl goes to the mall and buys a samurai sword and hacks the boy repeatedly while he's sleeping. Now, on its own, this is a pretty sad story. Like, Emily is clearly in a lot of pain if she feels compelled to go after her boyfriend with a sword. And normally at this point, I would have clicked away from the article, shaken my head at the tragedy, and moved on. But the story doesn't end here. So she's hacking him, and Alex wakes up, presumably stunned that his girlfriend has gone buck wild. And, well, here's what the article says. Quote, survival instincts, mainly martial arts training and all the kung fu films he had watched, clicked in. You got that, right? The kung fu films he watched help him survive. The article continues. I was able to wing Chun my way to survival, he told the Oregonian in an interview, referring to a Chinese martial art that I totally thought was made up, but is apparently a thing. He eventually wrapped Emily in a bear hug. I saw the look in her eyes and it scared the living poop out of me, he told the news outlet. So he talks her into calling the police, which she does. And when they arrive, they find him huddled in a blood-stained corner with three fingers just about hacked off. But thankfully, they get him to a hospital and they reattach his fingers. And this is the part where we get to find out more about our hapless victim. Because apparently, the emotion that this experience has left him with is not grief, nor horror, but overwhelmingly one of pride. I was just so proud for beating this samurai wannabe crazy lady with hate in her heart, the 29-year-old told the Oregonian. I've been preparing my whole life for something like this. The article keeps going. Alex Lovell, known as Biggie to his gamer friends, had been recently logging 12 to 13 hours a day playing his games. Apparently, his regimen also required, quote, exercises for his hands, wrists, and shoulders, and also practicing mouse moves and techniques to maximize performance. I wasn't a sweaty nerd, he said, more of, and he actually used this phrase, an athlete. And then the article ends with this gem. Quote, The feeling I had when I won the fight with my bare hands is just absolutely the best feeling, he boasted from the hospital. I've played all the sports, won big games, landed some decent tricks on my snowboard. This was better. Now, I'm not proud of this, but that late night, after a long day of scores of other sensational news breaking online and 
cranky Facebook commenters and difficult phone calls and one particularly snotty barista, that article left me pissed. Like, dude, your girlfriend tried to kill you and you're proud? You've been preparing your whole life for this? I'll tell you what you need to be doing. You need to be re-examining your whole life. I ranted to my husband, Marcus. I ranted online, and then I went to sleep. Then the next morning, I woke up ranting. I was muttering, oh, he wing-chunned his way to survival, did he, as I banged around coffee mugs. My daughter came into the kitchen, rubbing her sleepy eyes, and was on the verge of asking what the commotion was about, when Marcus glared at her and shook his head in warning. Ethleet, I hissed. My daughter's eyes grew wide with concern, and slowly she nodded to her dad to indicate that she caught his meaning and quietly slunk back to her bedroom. Marcus backed out silently after her. And finally, 30 minutes later, I stumbled into the shower, still angry, mind you, when suddenly, uncomfortably, it dawned on me. I might be Alex Lovell. I might be a Wing Chun master. See, I live in Houston, Texas, and some of you may recall that in the summer of 2017, we had a little storm that wreaked a bit of havoc in our town. Now, to be clear, Houston is no stranger to flooding. We're a flooding city. In the last few years, we've had a couple of severe floods where people lost their homes, and those were just from unusually enthusiastic rainstorms, not hurricanes. So when it became apparent Hurricane Harvey would be making landfall about 150 miles south, while we knew it would be a major rain event for Houston, we didn't think it was going to cause any dangerous winds, so Houstonians didn't consider evacuating. I mean, this wasn't our first rodeo, you know? We went to the stores and bought steaks and wine and beer and chips and other necessities of life and prepared to hunker down for a few days until the street flooding receded. In fact, I didn't even let the fact that I'd let our flood insurance lapse a couple of years before concern me, because even in those previous flood events, our neighborhood remained bone dry. We weren't in a flood zone. And then Harvey made landfall, and the next day, the storm, now weakened but still dangerous, turned and began to make its way toward Houston. As friends from outside the city watched and fretted, I took to Facebook to assure them that what they were seeing on their television screens was far away from us. We're fine, I said. I'm drinking wine. Marcus is drinking whiskey. We're good. But the water kept coming. So you know what's wild about flood water? It doesn't just come into your house under the doors. It turns out that it also seeps up through the floorboards. You're standing in your living room, watching the rain outside, and suddenly there's a puddle forming in the middle of your living room floor. And as Marcus and I stood in our house, the water beginning to lap around our ankles, we looked around in alarm and then looked at each other. And we both burst out laughing. Because apparently, for my husband and me, when a crisis becomes too incomprehensible, we turn to humor. Because what else could we do, really? We even stopped to take pictures of my husband standing in our front garden grinning like a goon as the water lapped at his thighs. My daughter was eventually evacuated to her best friend's home, but the next day, when it was apparent that my husband and I also needed to leave the neighborhood for our safety, three volunteer bass fishermen miraculously appeared out of nowhere, 
chugging their boat down the street to get us out. We were so grateful for them giving us a ride, we offered them money. Take it, Marcus insisted, for beer. But they shook their heads. No, 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 they kept saying. Suddenly, I screeched. You can use the money for hookers and blow. They all silently turned toward me, including my husband. But I kept going. Seriously, you guys are angels. You've officially earned your place in heaven. You don't have to be good anymore. Take the money. Live a little. Finally, they collapsed in laughter. They never did take our money. But after having shuttled people in the rain all morning, I'm sure it felt good for them to laugh. And I'll be honest, it felt good to make them laugh. Eventually, when our family was all safe and dry and together again, it began to be clear that we'd lost everything. Our home, all of our furniture and clothes were gone, lost to the filthy water that ended up taking residence in our house for almost two weeks. And as I often do to help process what I'm feeling, I took to writing. I wrote about the angels in the bass boat that I tried to pressure into behaving badly, but I also wrote about the dozens of total strangers who showed up in the weeks that followed to help us clean out our home, including one guy who had driven all the way from New Orleans that morning. You Houstonians were so good to us during Katrina, he said. Driving in was the least I could do. And then, when he'd finished helping us remove drywall and move our filthy clothing and furniture to the curb to be taken away, since all the hotels in town were filled with displaced Houstonians, he just got in his car and drove the five hours back to New Orleans that night. And I never even got his name. Writing all about this experience, both online and eventually for PBS NewsHour, because apparently they were unfazed by my hookers and blow comment, helped me really see so much beauty and kindness that was around me in those days immediately following Hurricane Harvey, and it allowed me to share that loveliness with the outside world who are likely only seeing one part of the truth, the devastation. The result is that while I wouldn't wish what we experienced on my worst enemy, I actually remember that time with a considerable amount of fondness. And like Alex Lovell, my fondness might sound a little crazy to outsiders. But sometimes, when we're dealing with unspeakable horror, focusing on the good, wherever we can find it, is how we make it through. So, the truth is inescapable. Je suis Alex. Which brings me, mercifully, I'm sure many of you are thinking, to my final story and to my point. Several years ago, I was invited to be the closing keynote at a leadership conference at Stephen F. Austin State University for their business students. The theme of the conference was Be the Change, based on that famous quote by Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. It was an honor to be there, particularly because the lunchtime keynote was Arun Gandhi, the grandson of the Mahatma. Arun Gandhi grew up in apartheid South Africa, and apparently when he was a boy, he was constantly getting into fights. The black people didn't like him because he wasn't really black, and the white people didn't like him because he was clearly not white. So after getting into tons of bloody scuffles every day, his parents decided to send him back to India to live with his grandfather, who was just rising to the height of his popularity. A quick aside, would that we all could send our belligerent children to Grandpa Gandhi when they got out of hand, am I right? Anyway, 
Arun Gandhi's work today continues the concepts of peace and nonviolence that were taught to him by his grandfather. So the morning of the conference, I was checking out of the hotel to go over to the university, and Mr. Gandhi was sitting in the lobby, having a cup of tea. Our eyes met, and I smiled at him. He must have recognized me from the conference marketing materials because he smiled back and said, You may join me. Here's a pro tip. When any member of Mahatma Gandhi's family invites you to join them, just do it. I grabbed my own cup of tea and sat with him, peppering him with all sorts of questions that I'm sure he's asked all the time and is probably tired of answering. But he was totally gracious, and it remains one of the most amazing moments of my life. One of the things he told me, and then later shared with the students, was his grandfather's concept of trusteeship. He said that all of us have talents and skills and gifts, and we mistakenly get our egos tied up in them. We feel like we own them, and that they provide our measure of worthiness in the world. But the Mahatma actually believed that these skills and talents and gifts are merely given to us in trusteeship, that the universe, or God, or Allah, grants them to us to hold and to use to make the world better, and brighter, and more connected. That, Mr. Gandhi said, was really the meaning of life. Which brings me to you. All of you, filled to the brim with knowledge and ideas and dreams, and are going out in the world today to stake your claim on this little planet, you have within you the power to literally create magic. You can create light. Through your art and innovation and creativity, you can enlighten and give perspective and even create connection that, in this increasingly fragmented world, is so desperately needed to save us all. By using your talents and your skills and your gifts in service of your communities and your colleagues, as Mr. Gandhi suggested, you can create space for compassion, and I believe that compassion is the secret sauce to making the world a better place. It's what motivated a middle-aged Louisiana man to drive across state lines into a disaster zone to help anyone who needed help, or three young bass fishermen to go out in tropical storm weather to help total strangers, or even propel me to understand the seemingly maniacal pride behind a 12 to 13 hour per day gamer with apparent Wing Chun gifts. Compassion is everything. So please, Please do not measure your success by awards or tons of money or publication in prestigious journals or even followers on your social media accounts. Even if those things never come, never give up making light. When you share your thoughts and your words, when you create your inventions or lead organizations or create foundations or write or volunteer your time or mentor others all in the service of others, You are changing lives, even if you never actually receive the verbal, overt feedback. The people you touch take your light with them as they go through their days, and your light can help them withstand the challenges in their lives and any insanity that the world throws at them. Know that as long as you keep making light in whatever capacity you can, you are changing the world for the better. Really, really. And by the way, just to circle back to all of these stories, as far as I know, poor Emily 
went to jail. Alex, I'm sure, healed, and hopefully his mouse exercises help him regain full mobility of his gaming hand. And we've rebuilt our home, this time two feet higher and with a second story. Everything really is fine. Thank you. And with that, this is the end of season four of The Make Light Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I've so enjoyed your questions and your comments. Season five will start in the fall, but for the summer, I'm going to do things a little differently. Starting in June, I'll be back every other week or so on a summer break. Just an informal check-in, sharing some thoughts as we ease into the lazy, hazy days of summer with some thoughts on travel or books I've read or even some of the cool people I meet along the way. I'm looking forward to sharing the ease of the summer with you, and I hope you'll join me. In the meantime, for today's show notes, including that Washington Post article about Alex and Emily, and even more episodes of The Make Light Show, please visit themakelightshow.com. Of course, if you'd like to work directly with me in achieving any of your goals, visit karenwalren.com to learn more about my leadership and executive coaching practice. I'd love to help you make light in your own life and work. And as always, if you're looking for other ways to infuse your life with purpose, but you find yourself a little stuck, well, please email me with any questions or challenges you'd like me to tackle to karen at themakelightshow.com. And I might just add the answers to them in the fall lineup. I'm Karen Walrand, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Have a great summer, my friends and keep on making light.